Uh, <laughs> what's up, ladies and gentlemen? And thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to part two with Mr. Eric Tremonti. You know, um, uh, we covered a lot in the beginning. And as you know, on the drop-in, we, we I try to start at the beginning as quick as we can oftentimes. We're going to skip over some things. But I try to start where people grew up because I think that's important to see where the foundation came to where we're getting to in part two. So then we talked about uh, getting into video editing, how that happened, which was not actually part of the plan, which, as you know, the plan is never the plan. The no. plan is just to move in the direction that the world, God, the universe, whatever, is pointing you. Embrace that and go with it and see what happens. And so uh, that's sort of what happened with Eric. You know, he started editing stuff kicking ass editing stuff and then got an opportunity with under the radar and that's about where we're at we're talking about first season what it what what went on because financing isn't always the easiest thing and dptv is uh is is what it is um so you know the first year uh, how many shows you guys produced that first uh season? well there's 13 they did um they shot six shows before i started so i started on number seven um, but there were a few, there were a couple in the can that, that I took over as far as the editing, um, or the post-production management of it. And, you know, just right away, just completely changed how the show was being done. Cause it was, and even, you know, we make fun, I make fun of some of the, you know, the earlier segments that they did. Cause they were just so, they were just unnatural. They had this big production company They come in with all these lights. And by the time they were ready to shoot. There, you know, two hours had gone by and all the freaking energy was gone. So Tom, the host of the show, you know, one of I think one of the reasons the show has done so well is that we're really quick, man. We're nimble. We get in there. I immediately start looking around for places to have interviews, all natural light. You know, we we use lights, you know, only in the worst case scenario when, you know, it's just terrible lighting. Um, but I hate any bringing in any kind of lights because as soon as you turn on a couple lights these pe- these are people that aren't used to being on camera and they they freeze up you know we had one person almost fall over you know she just even subconsciously you know when when somebody is in a, a totally different environment they might may not even know they're doing it you yeah. know yeah you know so you know you know right away we we changed how the footprint of how we shot stuff and it was you know all really natural you know like you know Tom would get in there and start yakking it up with somebody. I'm like, hey, yeah, you're going to be here. You're going to be here. You know, let's roll. Was it difficult? Uh, because, I mean, year number one, you don't have a reputation yet. People don't know who you are. Was it difficult to uh, get people to participate, to find places that would let you come in and film, things um, like that? And so Jim was in charge of the sales, as we talked about. Tom has always been the producer of the show. He like so I directed the show and managed post production, but Tom was the guy that would make the phone calls and say, Hey, this is Tom Dalton, you know, we want to have you on the show. He did all that upfront stuff. He's super organized. Um, you know, six page outlines that, you know, in the car he's just going over, Okay, we're gonna be here first, you know, and like, you know, we Jim and I'd get in trouble all the time because we never read them. We're just like, you know, all I know is I'm gonna show up there, you tell me who you're talking to, and I'm gonna find a place to shoot it and, you know, we'll move on with that. So that was always his thing. He scheduled everybody, he did the pre calls, all that stuff. So um I never had to do that and I'm good with that, you know. Sometimes not the easiest thing, you no, know. No, not at all, man. 
Especially his, before you have a reputation. Yeah, and we were, you know, we called ourselves the Three Amigos. We had we had very different um, skill sets and different parts of the show that we were in charge of. You know, Jim also shot. Uh, he was second camera. Um, he had never picked up a camera before in his life. You know, the early years, you know, like I had to teach him stuff about the rule of thirds. And, you know, like he'd shoot somebody and, you know, their nose is up against the frame. I'm like, bro, you got to move. He's got to be over here. It's called nose room. <laughs> headroom all that kind of stuff you know so i'd be like anyways but we all did we all had our parts you know tom produced the show and made all the you know made all the phone calls scheduled hotels all that stuff jim was you know always there to support he was our money guy he was you know the guy who was out you know having lunches and and finding out where our paychecks were going to come from huge responsibility and then you know my job my gift i tell him to them was that once we were done shooting, they didn't have to worry about anything, you know. Everything was going to be fine, and I was going to take care of everything. And I would, you know, there would be times I'd be sending them, you know, hey, take a look at this edit, you know, because I would go, you know, I'd have a guy editing, and I'd go through, you know, two, three rounds of changes before I even show Tom and Jim. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they were like, I love it. Right. right. You know, it, you know, in the ninth, tenth year, you know, I'd be like, you'd be like crickets. Like, hey, guys, you look at that. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, fine. <laughs> You know? Well, you develop a trust, yeah. you know, over exactly. the years, and they they're like, "Well, if Eric said it's good, it's good. I don't even have to look at this. Exactly. I already know." Exactly. Um, over the decade, you you were involved with the show, and and you're we'll get to your involvement moving forward. But right. um, uh, do you have a favorite? Any one episode that stands out over the rest? Because that's a lot. I mean, ten years, hundred thirty episodes or so. Um, do you have any one that stands out that you really enjoyed? Um. I'm not going to say an episode. I'm going to tell you what what I loved the most about the show is that there was a lot of improvisation. Tom's Tom's kind of a character, so like we would write little corny bits all the time, like just on the fly. And I'm like super proud of those because those are like, you know, we we did a ski jump in Ishpeming, and we're like, let's suit Tom up and freaking have him walk up, and then we'll shoot a kid like you know doing the jump so it looks like Tom. <laughs> And then at the end of the show, we're like, hey, let's have, you know, as we're ending it, you know, Tom's and, you know, the camera comes around the corner and catches Tom paying this kid off, you know, uh-huh. who's dressed like him with a mustache and, you know, like that kind of stuff. You know, I, we, I love that stuff. You know, that was like true creativity. You know, when you got to like come up with something or you're just like, hey, you know, let's let's do this and just make it work, you know, and those those little bits, I had a lot of fun editing. And so many times that's the best stuff. You know, yeah. that is the best stuff. And, yeah. uh, you know, oftentimes with the drop-in, we'll go on, on site and do stuff. A lot of times at skate parks and right. whatnot. And uh, that's it. You know, the improv. I mean, very rarely is, is my show scripted. Yep. But we have a structure. We have yep. a skeleton of what we're going to follow. Right. And uh, people come in the door. You weren't sure they were even going to come in, you know, or, or yeah. whatever happens. And that oftentimes is the best. Yeah, and and, and I will, you know, I'll circle back and, and say that, you know, from the beginning, um, a lot like your show, I mean, Under the Radar is positive storytelling. That's yeah. who we seeked out. And, you know, right away, you know, this is 2008, 2009, we were down in Detroit, you know, finding cool people that were doing stuff. And I was like, this is amazing. Nobody's telling, nobody was telling positive stories about Detroit. And then we go to Flint and we meet like this amazing family, the Hoffmans that got this deli and they're, you know, two brothers and a dad and they're freaking so into Flint. And I'm like, I love this town, you know? And um, I was so happy to be able to go to Flint and go like, Hey, we're not showing like 
poverty and you know you know despair there are actually people there who love that town and want it to be something better than it was and flint's actually a cool town it's a very cool town it's got the bones to be friggin' awesome their art museum is out of control yeah no doubt out of control their art campus they have like multiple they have an entire you know creative campus down there so I always felt good going to towns like that and, you know, towns that people are like, I don't want to go there because there's good people everywhere, man. Yeah, that is the truth. And and, and being able to, to bring that message, those those stories yeah. to the masses, it, it's not difficult. You don't have to search that hard. Right. But especially in, in, our, in the climate we're in today, that isn't the clickbait people are looking for. Right. But they love it when they see it. Yeah. You know, and we yeah. just have to push that out there. No doubt. Um, you know... Uh, the last six months have been tough around here, uh, in the, in all over the world, uh, under the radar. Uh, sort of had to have a little bit of a shift, as yeah. everybody else uh, has had to do. Yep. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah. Bit? So, um, you know, like I said, we had, you know, Jim had to go out and find funding for the show, and and uh, for the last, you know, few years, we've had a great partnership with uh, Pure Michigan, um, and that's where all that's where the bulk of our money came from. That kept you know our salaries paid and our you know production costs and all that and uh, it was actually prior to COVID um, the you know the budget for Pure Michigan was getting cut and you know it went from thirty million down to zero so we're like crapping our pants and then you know a few months later it it went back up to oh now we're gonna now they're gonna get fifteen but we still didn't know what that meant for us. Um, then it went back down to zero when COVID hit and that was pretty much, you know, we're not getting paid anymore. And now it just went back up to 15. So they're at half of what they were. I still don't know what that means for under the radar. And I'm not, I'm not done with under the radar. I'm just done because I've had to go out and find a way to make money, you know, to pay for my family and my mortgages and all that. And they're, you know, their understanding of it. You know, I had to do what I had to do. So let's get into that. I mean, uh, you know, I called you a handful of years ago when I was moving a Japanese maple. Yeah. And and I, I gave you a call. Some people in the neighborhood had a 20-year-old Japanese maple, and I wanted a Japanese maple. So uh, my wife is like, you know, give Eric a call. So I give him a call, and I'm like, what do I do? And he's like, here's what you do. Dig it out. Do this. Doesn't have a tap root. I remember the conversation. Mm-hmm. Told me how to move it. The thing looked like it never even skipped a beat. The, right. It is beautiful. And that's when I first found out that you were a master gardener. Right. How did that come about, man? Um, so, uh, you know, if I look back, I've always been into gardening. Green's my favorite color. I just love, I love like, you know, when things are green outside and uh it's just always been a part of me and i remember being a kid wanting my you know begging my mom to let me turn like an area in our backyard into a vegetable garden i wanted to grow my own vegetables i love vegetables i like you know i didn't like them when i was little i think like in my teen years or whatever young teens and then even in college um you know i was growing vegetables i was all into hot sauces you know that was like the thing and you know i was growing i had you know a grove of you know, cayenne peppers and habanero peppers. And I was like, nobody else. I was growing vegetables in college in 1991. Nobody was growing vegetables. And now, now everybody's doing it. Right. Now, now growing your own food is like a thing. Um, but even then, you know, similar to the creative thing, I didn't have anybody um, 
I didn't have anybody going, hey, you should do something with that. Or, you know, I didn't have a high school counselor. It's like, what do you like? What are you into? You know, because if I could go back to, to high school, I would have got I would have gone into horticulture. I would have gotten a horticulture degree. I, that would have been my. But I didn't know. I didn't know that it was a passion. I still don't. I still didn't know. Um, it's just kind of something that's been growing within me. No, no pun intended. Especially with Michigan State in our backyard. Yeah, you know, they I'm have a, an incredible, yeah. incredible reputation yeah. when it comes to that. So you know, uh, we built a house. My wife and I, you know, every house that we've had, I started gardening. I started putting in flowers and beds, and you know, like it, it just became a thing. And then um, we built a house uh, back in 2008. We bought right before everything took a shit. It was brilliant. Anyways, <laughs> um, but I, you know, I designed the whole front yard, and we had landscapers come in and put it in. I was like, that's pretty cool. And then, um, you know, I've been helping my friends and family. You know, people are like, hey, you know, what should we do here? What should we do there? Um, and the the whole master gardening thing is uh, the house that we that we bought uh, that we live in now. We bought from a master gardener. I'm still really good friends with her. Hi, Debbie, if you're around. Anyways, um, but. Right when we got the house, I was like, she had a little sign, you know, you know, home of a master gardener. I was like, I, I want to get one of those. And, uh, uh, you know, I immediately when we bought this house, because, you know, she was a gardener, it was freaking amazing. But I wanted to ID, like, every plant that was in my yard. Like, it became like a, a an obsession to just know what everything is. It's still an obsession. I ha- I'm a total nerd about that. Like, I want to be able to someday, like, go, hey, that's a blah, blah, blah. You know, what's that? That's that. Um, but the whole uh, master gardener title, I went through training at um, through Michigan State, and it's super cheap. It's like three hundred bucks for like twelve weeks, and you get a big book, and you have to read it. And, and one thing, the main thing that you learn when you're a master gardener is you're like master of nothing. Like you, you learn a ton, but you're not. I don't know everything. What master gardening, the master gardener curriculum tr- teaches you is a lot of background information that you need. But more importantly, it teaches you to research and find the right practices. You know, if you don't know, you know, why this plant is doing, look it up. Don't look it up, you know, on Facebook. Look it up on site something that has site.edu that's research-backed. So, um, you know, unless you're 90 years old, I don't think anybody's a master gardener because there's just, you know, there's so much to learn, and I'm learning every day. But I don't put anything in anybody's ground that I haven't researched and made sure that it's going to do well there, or, you know. And that's what I think will set you above most people. Right. Because um, oftentimes, you know, I, I did hardwood floors for a long time. Right. And the customer might, might want a certain thing. Right. And I'm like, that ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. That ain't, and, and, and you'll tell them that is not going to work. And until, unless they take it to a level and you're like, all right, I'll put it in, but it ain't going to work. Right, right. You know, you do the research and you say, well, that might not work, but this, this would work. Right. And so that's a very important trait. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, from day one, uh, you know, when I'm going out helping people, it's all about that. Um, I actually like finding ways for people to save money. And that's, you know, I'm like, why would you spend, you know, all that money on this side of the How often are you on this side of your house? Never. I'm like, well, then why would you do that? (laughs) Well, uh, (laughs) and I think that resonates. You know, they know that I'm not out to just, like, make money off of them. Like, well... That doesn't make sense. And that's, that's I think, a, a quality that people will, will remember, that sure. you're not just there to milk them for whatever right. you can get them for. Um, when you started, when you came up with the idea, uh, 
you know, I thought it was very interesting that at first you're like, I'm just going to, you know, sort of coach people and tell them how to do their thing. Right. And then that's grab. I mean, you walked in here, dude. Like, seriously, like you just came out of a trench. So obviously you're not just coaching people. No, no, no. And, you know, going back, um, so I started this this, uh, this company. I didn't even know I was starting a company at the time. Just a real quick, are we on to that part? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So um, my wife and I were on a walk. Everybody was walking when COVID started. You know, that's what we did. It's like, you got to get out of the house and do something. And uh, we we were passing by my daughter's friend's uh, house and her mom was like, hey, can you come check out this, you know, what should I do over here? And uh, I was like, sure, you know. And that night on, you know, that walk on our way home, I was telling my wife, I'm like, maybe I can start charging people for this, you know, like maybe this isn't like, maybe I can do something with this so I can make a couple extra bucks under the radars, kind of in limbo. At that point, we were still getting paychecks through PPE, but that was only going to last till like June 31st. So this was like early May. And, uh, that night I went home. There wasn't a whole lot of like, I'm going to start a business. I freaking went online and I found a site, you know, magnetsonthecheap.com. And I designed a couple magnets for my truck and with my phone number on it, you know, you know, they're, you know, I just used their, you know, crappy artwork that they had. And uh, those things showed up like a week later on May 15th. I'm calling May 15th the birthday of Master Gardens, which is the name of the company, um, because I slapped those babies on my truck, took a picture, put it up on Facebook, and through advertising, I have like 1,500 Facebook friends. It's stupid, but I actually know all of them. I don't, I don't accept friendships from people I haven't actually met in person. Um, I put a picture up, you know, hey, open for business. Here we go. And it just blew up. Blew up. Stay, busy, I, stay busy most of the summer? I haven't been home all summer. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's literally, um, it was like jumping into the fire because, you know, what I thought I was going to do, and I've kind of tried to figure out, you know, originally I was just going to charge people to, you know, I'll come to your house, I'll you know, charge you 75 bucks to walk around your house for, you know, an hour, or 45 minutes, whatever it takes. And then I'll come up with a plan for you that you can either hire somebody to do you can do it yourself. You can do, you know, a little bit of both. I said, if you want to hire me to, like, manage the project, I can do that. Um, but right away, people are like, can you do this? Right. And I was like, I guess. One-stop shop's yeah, a lot exactly. easier, man. I'm like, why not? And then, you know, then it just steamrolled. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's very cool. And and what I love is the idea of, a, you know what, I'm going to order some magnets, throw them on my car, and, and just see what happens. Right. When I relaunched Purple Heart a couple uh, years ago, it was 40 bucks. Right. It was twenty nine ninety nine for the Shopify site and 10 bucks for a bank account. Bam. Yeah. Relaunch. It's not that difficult to start your own thing, especially when you're passionate about it. You have to, there, you got to find a passion, yep. you know, and, it, and if you can find a passion and just think of a, a, an easy way to start turning that into some money. And I was, you know, like I said, I was charging 75 bucks. All of a sudden, I'm, like, driving an hour to, you know, round trip. I'm like, 75 bucks, man. I can make more working at McDonald's. Not that there's anything wrong with working at McDonald's. But, uh, you know, like, right away, I needed to figure out, you know, how to, you know, make it worth my time, you know. Now, I, I hinted at it earlier, 
and you're coming in, you know, in the next month or two, the snow is going to hit. Yep. And obviously working outside right. is going to uh, slim down a little bit. Uh, many people in, in your line, your new line, yeah, uh, they're plowing snow all summer yeah. or all winter. Yep. Um, I'm not doing it. Well, <laughs> the growth, because you did stay business, uh, so busy out of the gate, uh, that decision is going to be a pretty big one, huh, over the slow season, like to grow and buy your own machinery and do right, things right. or to continue at the pace you're going. Have you given that much thought yet? That's all I think about. Really? Yeah. I mean, because, you know, my my first season, so we're, I'm like five months in, um, it's been just ridiculous, you know, the, the, the revenue that I've generated, you know, without even thinking about what I was going to do. But... I have bills to pay. You know, they say when you start a business that, you know, you're supposed to dump all your money into your business. You know, the first couple of years, don't take a paycheck. Well, that doesn't work at my house. <laughs> like, my wife needs my paycheck. So, you know, everything is about providing. And I can't provide my business with the investments that I need to, you know, provide it with in order to get to the next level. Because next year, you know, I can't do another year like this one. I've, I've worked my ass off. Well, physically. Um, physically. Uh, it's been grueling. I'm in great shape, man. I've, I'm down to my college weight. I've lost like 25 pounds this summer. It's crazy. <laughs> so that's a, that's a good side benefit to it. But you know, in order for this to be viable, I got to grow, man. I gotta I gotta scale it up. Um, I don't want I don't want people out there selling because I think my one thing I found out right away is that my my biggest talent, aside from the gardening part, is just talking to people. You know, I'm honest. Um, I don't BS anybody. I'm not there to screw you. I'm there to figure out something that, you know, that works for you. And I'm batting like 95% on if I go to your house, you're hiring me. Authenticity goes a long way. It's everything. It's everything. And that's, that's, you know, that's one of my, you know, if I'm, you know, if, if I can hang my hat on anything, I'm honest to a fault and, you know. Well, that, people that can helps. see through it if yeah. you're not. Yeah. I think people can see through it if you're right. not. You know, yeah. and, and uh, it, it it's crazy that it seems like a no-brainer to be authentic and honest. But right. it, I'm it, telling when, you. when people run into to folks like you or me, they're like, "Wow, you're real." Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. Like, isn't everybody real? You know? Yeah. But it, it's not as common as we may think. Right. Um, but we're already coming down to the last three freaking minutes oh, of no. the show. Uh, I wanted to hint on. Um, you know, there it's some cool uh, things you're doing with the youth because you had to get some extra hands right. in there. And you're you're actually teaching them some pretty cool life skills. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad we're hitting on that, too. You know, like um, one of the other things that I realized about it right away um, doing this is that, um, you know, even though I'm just starting this business and I'm learning a ton, you know, like I got a lot to teach kids, you know, like work ethic and personal skills and, you know, um, I worked with a sub, a kid subcontractor on a job. You know, I hired him to do some stuff for me, and he was just a train wreck, man. And he just like he didn't understand that everything in this business is about referrals and repeat business. If you're just trying to get a paycheck and move on to the next one, because what ended up happening is he underdelivered to me for me, and I said, "Bro, you screwed yourself, man." Because I could have given you like tens of thousands of dollars worth of work. But instead, you just got pissy, and you walked away from, you know, I told you up front, man, there's there's a lot of work. I am bringing in jobs faster than I can service them, and he chose to just get his check and move on. And I was like, it's not, it's bad business, man. And I tried to teach him that, you know, like this, everything, 
even in post-production, you know, like our editors, you know, I would be like, look, you guys, man, our salespeople are out there bringing in jobs. He go, that job that our sales guy brings in, that's not what's important. When those people call back and come back a second time, then we win. Yep. Because then, you know, they liked it here, and then they're telling their friends and their friends, and that's what's happened with my company. It's just all referrals, I mean, just one after another, and I'm never, yeah, I'm never going to advertise. I, I'm, if I get to a point where I have to advertise, then you're doing something wrong. Now, if um, on that, mm-hmm. if anybody watching the show wants to reach out, how can they? Uh, I'm on Facebook. That's the main the main way is uh, mas- if you look up Master Gardens on Facebook. I've done everything's been through Facebook. I haven't had a chance to do anything cool. other than that. Yeah. It's been crazy, man. How cool. Well, yeah. you know. And, gonna... and I didn't want to come on here to self-promote either. I mean. Yeah, but I did. Yeah, so yeah, anyway, thanks, yeah. uh, thank you so much, Eric, for hey, coming thanks in. thanks for having me, man. You... I hope we got to everything. Yeah, well, I'm, I guarantee I'll have you back on. Oh, I love it, man. So thanks a lot, brother. Yeah. And thank you guys, man. You know, you can only get this content on the drop-in. You never know who's coming next, but it's always going to be something quality, uplifting, motivating, and for you. I do this for you. I do this for you. So thank you, guys. And thank you again, Eric. Absolutely. Uh, Amazing. Share it with your friends. Let everybody know. Let's make positivity go viral. Inspire each other to be the best version of ourselves we can. So thank you again. My name is Gerald Valley. That's Eric Tremonti. And this is The Drop-In.